Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. I'm Craig McCann, formerly on staff here at Northwest Church from January 2008 through June 2020. While I have retired from being on staff, I have not retired from being a Christ follower, which is why when I was given the opportunity from Pastor Ben to do the daily word here, to do chapter 18 of Acts, I jumped at the chance to be with you this morning or this afternoon, or this evening, whenever you are hearing this. Let's pray together as we begin. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be strengthened by your word. And Lord, we pray that you are with us, knowing that you are invited into this session with you, Lord. Teach us, we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to obey your word and know how to apply it to our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, Pastor Ben was with you last time in Acts chapter 17, and it was very clear then that the Apostle Paul was running into some difficulty. Whatever city he went to, whether it be Thessalonica, Berea, or eventually Athens, he was running into lots of resistance. In Thessalonica, he was doing pretty well there, spreading the word of God, but he ran up against resistance where people were upset about what he was teaching, that Jesus was the Messiah, and they ran him out of town. He goes to Berea next, where he's making some inroads. And there again, the group that was from Thessalonica follows him down and then chases him out of Berea as well. So he limps his way down to Athens. And there at the Areopagus, he was preaching to some intellectuals who are really tied up with the whole idea that this is where we need to be with our gods, just talking about God and ideas. And it, uh, Paul was doing pretty well there too as well. But when he started talking about Jesus Christ being a man who was resurrected and God the judge, judger of their lives, that's when he caught some problems. And it went sideways. Some sneered at him. Others, well, they would listen to. And others, well, they actually joined him. But it was there that he had to leave as well. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 18 from the book of Acts. I will read from my notes from the NASB, but I want you to know that um, it's a good idea to perhaps take some notes because I'll have some points of application for you. And I would also suggest that you look at this book, study verse by verse, the book of Acts by Pastor Steve Schell, who was our former pastor here before Pastor Ben, who wrote a commentary on the book of Acts, which has got a lot of the details, which I'm going to include, but it gives you great background. Uh, The points of application are from the Holy Spirit. Let's read the word of God. I'll be reading from my notes, but it is the NASB. After these events, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, but because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. And they worked together, for they were tent makers by trade. And Paul was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. Corinth, 
About 50 miles southwest of Athens, Paul had traveled. Why Corinth? Well, for one thing, it was a city of high commerce. It was the hub of commerce in the uh, country of Greece. And so he was hoping to find a job, is what I'm thinking. And he was out of resources, depleted, tired, perhaps depressed. And so he comes to Corinth looking for work because he is a tent maker. And sure enough, he finds work there. But it is an interesting choice of a city. Corinth is not only known for its commerce and activity in that respect, but also a city of debauchery, high sexuality, drunkenness. And they have a high opinion of themselves that no one else in Greece has. Everyone else in Greece sees the Corinthians as kind of the low life, the partiers. And that actually was a thing that plagued the church for its duration. But Paul does find work there. And he also finds Aquila and Priscilla, who is, Aquila is a Jew, Priscilla is a Jewess. They are married, probably uh, chased out of Rome when Claudius was there, as it states, as founders of a church in Rome. We know Paul did not found the church in Rome, but perhaps Priscilla and Aquila did. But they leave Rome to come to Corinth because of Claudius's decree. And they team up with Paul, who is also a tent maker. In fact, uh, the town that Aquila is from, Pontus, is a town known for its goat tent, <laughs> goat, goat hair tent. And uh, Aquila is quite uh, versed in this area. And Paul, is, as a tent maker, teams up with them. So perhaps they made goat hair tents together. Who knows? But the more important piece is that Aquila and Priscilla offered Paul a place to stay and a time with him where he could be supported by them and he could support them as well. What a wonderful thing for Christians to come together and be uh, in support of each other. This is a point of application for us in these times of chaos and COVID chaos, you might say, is a good time as is any time for our Christians to band together, to gain strength from each other, and to seek support and prayer support, maybe even financial support as we go through tough times together. Keep that in mind. If it's good enough for Paul, it certainly can be good enough for us. I know that in my retirement, there's a tendency sometimes to isolate. And I've found it very necessary for me through Zoom calls or whatever, to stay in contact with other fellow Christians, especially the brothers, because we can pray for each other and we can hear from each other and we can bear our souls to each other, and that strengthens us. Keep that in mind. Let's go on now. Verses 5 and 6 from the Word of God. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood is on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, comment, observation for you. It was not appropriate for a rabbi at this, those times to be paid for teaching, which is why Paul had to find work. With his resources depleted, he needed to have income. So he took up the tent making along with the preaching. So he was actually pushing back on the, the tradition when Silas and Timothy showed up. First of all, this is great for his morale 
He's got Silas and Timothy back with him in the fold, along with Priscilla and Aquila. So there's that more, much more strength together. He gains financial help because they are bringing an offering from the church in Philippi to help support him. So now he can go full-time into preaching, which he'll need to have because as he enters into the synagogue, he meets a lot of resistance. Uh, the word in Greek is antitasso, which is a military term where it's almost as if these guys in the synagogue had formed arms and were barring Paul from even entering into the synagogue itself. Perhaps he got some teaching done, perhaps not, but his expressions of shaking his garments out and the, your blood will be upon your own heads is actually from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Nehemiah, it talks about uh, Paul, uh, the, uh, Nehemiah shaking his garments out. And it is a protest saying that, hey, I'm done with you. And you'll see how that applies there as you look into the book of Acts by Pastor Steve. In the term of the, your blood is on your heads, that has to do with blood guilt. And it goes back actually again to the uh, book of Genesis where Cain kills Abel. And Abel's blood is crying out from the ground for justice. Later on, God uses that same term, the blood guiltiness, with Ezekiel. When he accuses Ezekiel of having the blood of the people that Ezekiel is prophesying to on his head, if he doesn't tell them and warn them of the danger they are in spiritually, it's as if he has murdered them. And God is telling them, him, Ezekiel, that look, their blood is going to be on your hands if you don't tell them what kind of danger they're in. Well, Paul is evoking the same, same type of statement to these Jews who knew what Paul was talking about. Now, not sure about how they reacted, but sure of Paul and his adamant uh, and vehement protest. He leaves telling them, hey, I shake my garments of you. Your blood is on your own heads. It's not on me. I've done my best to let you know and warn you, and now it's time for me to move on to someone else. And sure enough, he does move on. All right. Reminds me a little bit, and I know this may sound a little bit strange, but it reminds me a bit of a song, actually. Uh, it was a song from the 70s uh, by a man by the name of Kenny Rogers who sang a song called The Gambler. Now, I'm not into gambling. I know Paul's not into gambling. No one at Northwest Church is into gambling, as far as I know. But there's a refrain in the song that really is fitting here. It goes like this. It says, you got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. It is a song by a gambler who is the wisely old gambler giving his advice to a new protege about how to handle your poker hand. Know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away, and know when to run. Well, Paul knows when to run. He's paying attention to the Holy Spirit as he had been doing his entire ministry. He knows when it's time to take off. He's basically following the same instructions that Jesus followed and gave to his disciples. In Matthew uh, 10, 13 through 15, I want to just read this quickly to you. Uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's uh, telling them that here's what you need to do when you run into resistance, the antitasso type of resistance. If the house is worthy, see that your blessing of peace comes upon it. 
But if it is not worthy, take your blessings of peace back. And whoever does not receive you nor listen to your words as you leave that house or city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of the judgment than for that city. You see how Paul is just following suit with what his Lord and his Savior said to him. Application for us. Look at Sometimes you'll be sharing Jesus and it won't be going well. You got to know when to press in, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit about when to walk away and know when to run. Leave the results to God and look what happens. Here we go. Let's go into verses 7 through 11 now, again, from the Word of God, chapter 18, Acts. Then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, as they listened to Paul, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul by a vision at night, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many people in this city. And he settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Look what happens when Paul walks away as the Holy Spirit had directed. It seemed like he was in a huff, and he was. But he's still following the Holy Spirit like he had been doing his entire mission trips. He leaves the synagogue, and right next door is a house run and operated, well, operated, owned by a man by the name of Titius Justus, who, by the way, his common name is Gaius, keep that in mind, who invites him in to preach. And lo and behold, not only that, there is a bonus package involved. Crispus, who is the leader of the synagogue, joins him, along with his whole family. This is a wonderful thing for Paul. Yet, Despite his success, he has difficulty, and the Lord knows that and wants to strengthen him. So at night, Jesus appears to him in a vision and talks to him in a very gentle way, not putting Paul down, not berating him, but encouraging him and building him up, telling him, look at, don't be silent, don't hold back, keep preaching, keep preaching, I'm with you. And not only that, I have people here who will help protect you and keep you from harm. Oh, wow, that's a wonderful thing. Point of application for us. First of all, I've never had the Lord himself appear to me in a vision and speak to me with such clarity and specificity and protection. But I'll tell you what, I've got the word of God. I've got the Holy Spirit. And I will be listening for his word and for the Holy Spirit to speak to me. And I'm always open for a vision, and I know that you are too. Secondly, this whole business about leaving the synagogue and going next door. A door closes, things things are shut down, but another door opened. Folks, that's for us as well. A door closes, God will open another door for us. I know that back in 1974, I began teaching taught for 20 years in the classroom. Then for 12 years, I was an administrator. I retired from public school education in 2006. 
and was looking for something else to be doing. I decided that I wanted to go back into the classroom and I decided that, well, how about private school? So fortunately, I got a job teaching sixth graders in a private Christian school. However, things didn't go well. I uh, was not ready for the rigor of the classroom again. The school was wonderful. The kids were wonderful. Craig McCann was not wonderful. I went into deep depression. It was just too much for me, I have to admit. It is fall of 2007, and I needed to quit. I needed to walk away. I needed to <laughs> fold, you might say. Well, that door closed. I asked to be let go of my contract, and the school graciously did so. For a few months, I was drifting and just kind of laying it out before the Lord. Now what? I wasn't in dire straits financially, but I certainly needed more direction, something that I needed to do with my life. Significant. Wow, what happened? By January 2008, I was on pastoral staff here at Northwest Church. They took a broken Craig McCann and they offered him a position on the pastoral staff here at Northwest Church. I am so grateful for that opportunity to this very day. One door closed, another opened, and I thank God for Northwest Church for offering me this position that I stayed in for 12 years, thoroughly enjoyed. Keep it in mind, one door closes, another opens. Let's continue now, verses 12 through 17. But while Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him, and brought him before the judgment seat saying, this man is inciting the people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of some crime of vicious, unscrupulous act, O Jews, it would be reasonable for me to put up with you. But if there are questions about teaching and persons and your own law, see to it yourselves. I am unwilling to be judge of these matters. And he drove them away from the judgment seat. But they all took hold of Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and began beating him in front of the judgment seat. And yet Galileo was not concerned about any of these things. Now, remember how Jesus in the vision had talked to Paul about having people in the city who would not let him be harmed? When I read that originally, I thought he had lots of Christians around going to help Paul out, like Aquila and Priscilla, Silas and Timothy, maybe even more. Well, lo and behold, God uses Galileo to help protect Paul. See, Galileo was an actual proconsul. It's history in Achaia about 52 AD when he became, well, the proconsul of Achaia, which is a very uh, powerful position, very powerful position. And the Jews who were hostile towards Paul knew that. And so they were going to bring Paul before this new proconsul and try him out, see what he was all about. Uh, hoping that he would decree that this Christian sect was uh, a religion of its own and needed to be made illegal because being Jewish was legal. But they wanted to make being Christian, a Christ follower Jew, illegal. And that way, they would, Christians would continue to be harassed and thrown in jail and taken out of circulation. Well, Galileo would have none of it. 
See, Galileo was in Rome when Claudius had kicked all the Jews out, and he saw what happened there. So when he became proconsul, he was well-versed about where he wanted to go with this, which is why I think he interrupted Paul before allowing Paul to speak. He stepped in with his own opinion about things. Look at this whole thing about Christ and you Jews who don't believe in Christ. That's your own concern. We're not going to have this rioting going on between you two here in Corinth. Not in my backyard, it's not happening. Not under my watch, it's not happening. Therefore, get it out of here. And as they got out of there, the crowd that was there, the non-Jews that were there, decided, yeah, what about it? And they started to pound on the leader of the uh, synagogue by that time, uh, Sosthenes, who later, by the way, became a Christian. <laughs> we believe there's some evidence that that happened. And so, Sosthenes is being beat upon. Galileo's doing nothing about it. Well, why? You'd think he'd step in and not allow that to happen. Well, my feeling is, is that Galileo was saying to the whole group, look at, we're not going to have this happen here. I'm going to allow these people to pound on this leader because, well, I want it to end right now. And it's going to. Wow. What kind of application can we have of that? The application is this. God will use unusual people <laughs> and unusual situations to promote the kingdom of God. Galileo unexpectedly, well, not unexpectedly, but unknowingly perhaps, helped promote the spread of Christianity throughout the region. By making the uh, religion of Christianity a subset of being Jewish, kept everything legal and kept Paul and all his comrades in arms free to spread the gospel. Wow, who'd ever think it? The people who were in the town of the city of Corinth who were not going to allow Paul to be harmed were actually the government itself. Which brings up a point I want to make to you today. This mask for some, some of us that we have to wear is a point of contention for some, not all. What if we saw this mask as a point of witnessing, as a point of testimony to those who are unbelievers that we care about them? No matter how we feel about wearing a mask, we care about them and we're going to wear this to show our care. People who know that we're Christians, maybe we're wearing shirts like this and wearing crosses like this, see us wearing the mask and they say, that person cares about me. Maybe I need to care more about what they have to say about their savior. Say, so what I'm saying is this mask can be a tool of evangelism, not a tool of oppression. See it that way, use it that way and take advantage of these opportunities. God will use unusual people and unusual situations to spread his gospel. Amen? Amen. Let's continue on now to verses 18 through 22. Now Paul, when he had remained many days longer, took leave of the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Paul first had his hair cut at Centria, for he was keeping a vow. They came to Ephesus and he left them, 
that is Aquila and Priscilla, there at Ephesus, okay? Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, hmm. but took leave of them and said, I will return to you again if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed in Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church. And by the way, that church would be the church in Jerusalem. And then went down to Antioch. Some observations for you. This Nazarite vow that is being talked about here is something Paul did on a temporary basis. Typically, the Nazarite vow was a lifetime vow. In the Old Testament, Samuel had taken the Nazarite vow. Um, Samson did. In the New Testament, John the Baptist, Baptist, <laughs> the Baptist was a Nazarite. The Nazarite vow was a way of saying that I am totally in with God. I'm totally consecrated to you, God. I'm totally yours. Uh, a Nazarite could not uh, have any contact with dead bodies, could not have anything to do with drinking from anything from the, the grapevine. And for men, because it was for men and women, but for men, they could not um, cut their hair. They had to have it go long. And so Paul had taken a temporary vow of the Nazarite vow. Because of the fact he was so fragile and so weak, he knew that in his time in Corinth, he needed to have extra strengthening and perhaps more identification with the Jewish way of doing things. And so he allowed his hair to grow long, but now his time in Corinth was, was ending and his vow was ending. So he was going to cut his hair before he left so that he could present his shorn locks to uh, the temple, uh, perhaps during Passover and perhaps during Pentecost, hard to tell when. But once he had cut his hair, he needed to get there to offer it, which is why offer it in Jerusalem which is why he needed to leave Ephesus when it was during the time where he was actually having some pretty good fortune with uh, his teaching. They asked him to stay and he needed to leave. So what's the application here for us? Just keep in mind that as you share Jesus to others, there may be other obligations that get in the way, very serious obligations. And it's okay to perhaps say, hey, I'll come back, but also be aware. And by the way, Paul did make that promised that God willing, he would come back to Ephesus, and he did a year later. But keep in mind that you do what you can do, and then if you need to do something else, have some other obligation, it's okay. You take care of that obligation because God will find a way for things to be taken care of while you're gone, which is what he did, as we will soon discover. All right, let's move on now to verses 23 through 28. And after spending some time there, and the there is Antioch, because um, he had sailed across the Aegean Sea to Caesarea, and then up to Jerusalem, and then to Antioch eventually. He left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was proficient in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit. He was accurately speaking and teaching things about Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began speaking boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside 
and explained the way of God more accurately to him. And when he wanted to go across to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote uh, to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So Paul, while he was gone for a year, and he actually began his third missionary journey from Antioch, going through back through Derby and uh, Lystra and Iconium and uh, Antioch at Pisidium, strengthening the disciples there. He, in the meantime, Apollos had slipped in there, in a good way, and was beginning to teach. Now, this Apoll- his real name was Apollon- Apollinus. Apollinus, uh, also known as Apollos, we'll just call him that, was a very educated man, a very eloquent speaker, um, knew his way about business and the intellect. Uh, He uh, comes from Alexandria, which is a city that uh, has a university, a library. So he's very learned, but he's also a, a little bit deficient, not incorrect, but incomplete in his knowledge of Jesus. Uh, it says he knew of the baptism of John, so he probably knew about the idea of repentance, uh, probably knew that it, uh, you needed to have good fruit, you, you needed to, uh, um, well, just be a good person, but he was a little bit lacking, of course, in the idea of um, the baptism, not just being a repentance, but identifying with Jesus's death, burial, and uh, resurrection. And he's also missing, of course, the component about the baptism uh, in the Holy Spirit. So it is um, Aquila and Priscilla. And by the way, Priscilla probably took the lead on this. Uh, She's mentioned first, and some commentators feel that that's really important. And it could be, it may not be. But at any rate, they take him aside and teach him about the ways of Jesus having to do with the death, burial, and resurrection. The baptism in the Holy Spirit probably covered the uh, idea of the ascension and uh, Pentecost, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So he's so charged up now, he's ready to go across the Aegean Sea back to Corinth <clears throat> and begin teaching and, and proving that Jesus is the Christ uh, there. And he does so very effectively, probably baptized in the Holy Spirit himself at that time. He started with a lot of fervor, but it probably gained even more momentum as he uh, began to teach under the power of the Holy Spirit. So, application for us. Let's keep in mind, Aquila and Priscilla, when they saw that uh, Apollos was a little bit deficient in his knowledge of Jesus, that they gently took him aside and, and taught him. And that's a good point for all of us, is that when we see a situation where someone needs a little bit more about Jesus, that we do so with gentleness and uh, care and compassion. We're not to correct anyone publicly and to humiliate them. Uh, Let's do it with humbleness. And also, the attitude of Apollos, I think, is noteworthy. Here's a man who's very learned and feels like he's really got it together, perhaps, with about God and Jesus. But it was incomplete. And yet he has a humbleness about him that allows himself to be taught and instructed by people he doesn't really know that well, who are not as smart and as learned and maybe not as articulate as he is, 
but he allows them to teach and speak into his life. That's huge. We need that. We, when we become knowledgeable about the Lord, we need to always be open for more, always humble and always uh, willing to listen. Good things to remember. But here's the real cool thing about this. Paul and Apollos were both teachers in the, in the uh, church of Corinth. Paul started the church and then Apollos came along and he also discipled. They were not in competition with each other. Even though in 1 Corinthians 3, it becomes pretty clear that the people are trying to elevate one of the leaders above the other, Paul, at least, would have nothing to do with that. And I believe Apollos was of the same idea. Look, at, we're not in competition. We're in unity together. And this is for all of us. We need to know that we are in unity together when it comes to presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. We're not in competition. We do things with gentleness, compassion, and humbleness. Paul, uh, in 1 Corinthians 3, talks about uh, him planting the church, Apollos watering it, and then God making it grow. And folks, that's what it's all about. Some plant, some water, which is discipling. Some do both, but God makes it grow. We do what we can. We share as we can. But you know what? God makes it grow. He's responsible for the results. Don't ever let yourself be beat up about not doing enough for the Lord. You do enough when you share as best you can. It's one of the reasons I wear a shirt like this sometimes and my cross to show people that I am a Christian, that I do have a stand. And hopefully they'll approach me, especially with a question like this written on my shirt about who is this Jesus to them? And that opens up discussion. And with humbleness and compassion, we can have a dialogue about the Savior, Jesus Christ, who everyone needs to know. Well, that brings us to a close on chapter 18 of Acts. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.